Tonight, we're going to talk about our next tough question, which is, why do bad things happen to good people? You should have picked up a, a sheet with notes on it as you came in. Uh, if you don't want the notes, that's okay, but it helps some folks to know where, we're, where we are. Um, so there's a, a, a British interview show, uh, interviews celebrities. Some few years ago, uh, this comedian actor named Stephen Fry was on the show. So the way this show works, they ask all kinds of questions, but the last question is always, if there's a God and you were standing in front of him right now, what would you say to him? And I've never watched the show, but apparently usually it's, it's played for laughs and people say silly things and they try to be funny. But Stephen Fry, the actor and comedian on that night, said something that I'm sure must have shocked his host. When he said, if there's a God and you were standing in front of him right now, what would you say to him? He said, he said I'd say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which... There's such misery that is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-spirited, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. And, and I, don't, I know that we just wince when we hear somebody say that about our God, and yet um, it, it isn't just atheists and it isn't just unbelievers who wonder about questions like that. I remember in 2012, after the shootings at that elementary school at Newtown, Connecticut, uh, this was a few months later. I mean, at Christmas time, this happened. A few months later, I was talking to a friend of mine, a member of my church at the time, and a, a real strong Christian young man, and he said, I've got to tell you, this is really, I'm really struggling with this. He said, you know, God could have stopped that. He could have, he could have killed that guy. He could have zapped him. He could have sent a policeman to, inter to intercept him. Why did God just sit there and let that happen? I can't figure that out. For some people, this, this idea of the problem of pain is what they call it. For some, it's a lot more personal. I know people who, when they tell you the story of what's happened to them in the last few years, it sounds like the story of Job. You lose your job, and then you lose your health, and then you lose your family, and then you lose your self-respect, and then it's just this cascading series of events, and you look across the street, and the guy across the street doesn't even acknowledge God, and he seems to be living the perfect life. Everything's going his way, and you start to ask yourself, why? There's a movie few, several years ago, Bruce Almighty. I know, not exactly a Christian movie, but there's some interesting points that the movie makes, and the character early in the film says, God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. And that's how some people feel. That's how we all feel sometimes. In fact, people in Scripture felt that way. It won't be long in our Bible reading plan before you'll get to the book of Job, and you'll hear Job say some things that'll make you think, ooh, should you say that? But he meant it. Psalm 44, 23 through 24, this is in your notes. This is the psalmist. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Sometimes we feel like that. God, why don't you wake up? Why don't you show up? Why don't you help me? So what I want to do, I can't, now this, is, this is a question people have wrestled with for centuries, virtually since the beginning of humanity. I'm not going to answer all the questions um, I will say, if you want to explore this further, my favorite Christian author is Philip Yancey, and he deals with this a lot. This is something he really wrestles with. My favorite book that he writes about this subject is Where is God When It Hurts? So I can 
recommend that to you. And it's, it's, it's well-written and easy to read. But I wanna talk about three false ideas that people often believe and how the scriptures show that they're not true. And then I wanna talk about what God's answer is to the problem of pain. So number one, false idea number one, evil is God's fault. That's a false idea and yet it's often believed. So if, if you hear on the news that a family has been killed in a head-on car crash, did God nudge that car over the median into the family minivan? If I go to the doctor next month and I find out I've got cancer all over my body, did God put those cancer cells in my body with his own hand? See, that's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people think God's all powerful, therefore if anything bad happens, it's because God caused it. But follow that logically. Does that mean, therefore, if I get mad at somebody and I beat them up, does that mean that God caused that to happen? Well, no, because the Bible is quite clear that God does not ordain evil. God does not, uh, he, he does not sin, nor does he tempt people to sin. And, and so obviously there's some evil that happens that's against God's will. So, so let me just say this, and if this is the only thing you remember from tonight, you will have not wasted your time. When you are talking to someone who's struggling or suffering or grieving, never ever say, well, it's God's will. Because you don't know that it was God's will. By the way, that's one of the least comforting things you can possibly say. It's not your job to say what's God's will and what's, God's not, what not, what's not God's will unless it's expressly written in the Word of God. So, so don't say that. We don't know what God's will is and what God's will isn't. Um, what we do know is how God feels about our suffering. And the way we know that is because God actually put on human flesh and walked the earth and we saw His emotions when he experienced human suffering. That man was Jesus. So think about Jesus. When he encountered human suffering, how did he respond? Because the way he responded shows us what God feels. Did Jesus walk around just ignoring human suffering? Of course not. He spent his whole earthly life addressing it. So there's a story we all love in John 11 when Jesus goes to the village of Bethany because a man named Lazarus has died and Lazarus is a friend of Jesus and so are his uh, sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus goes there and Mary and Martha both separately come out to him weeping and they both say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would still be alive. And so the famous passage, uh, verses 33 through 35, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. And those last two words are very famous because that's the shortest verse in the whole Bible, just two words, Jesus wept. But most people never stop to ask, why did Jesus weep? Because here's a man who knew he had the power to raise the dead. In fact, he knew he was just about to do that. So why cry when you know you're about to reverse all the pain? Well, there's a hint as to why Jesus wept a little earlier in the passage when it says he was angry in his spirit. That's the English Standard Version translation. A lot of English translations don't render it that way. They'll say something like, he was troubled. But actually, angry is a more accurate translation of the Greek word. I'm told by people who know a lot more about Greek than I do, which isn't saying much, that the term that's translated angry here is a word that you would use to describe the snorting of a horse. Anybody who's ever worked with horses know, when that horse snorts, you better watch out. That's, that's a big creature who's getting extremely upset. So Jesus was angry at what he saw. And what we can guess, what, I, what we can assume is, he was angry because 
I made this world. I made this world perfect. I did not put death into this world. I did not put evil into this world. And this is what has become of this world. This world has been cursed. And this is what has become of it. And it made him angry. And it caused him to weep. And so we know when we suffer, God is angry about our suffering. God is hurt. He is moved. He weeps along with us. Evil is far from God's fault. It is something that offends him deeply. Secondly, false idea number two. It says, I'm qualified to judge what it is reasonable for God to allow. So as you heard me talking about God weeping, God being angry at evil, you might be thinking, well, so why doesn't he do something about it? I mean, in the story, Jesus says, Lazarus come forth and all that pain and death is reversed and Lazarus comes forth. So why didn't Jesus always do that? Why doesn't God always work a miracle? I'm sure you've experienced this where you've been sick and you prayed for healing and it didn't happen or you had a loved one who was on their deathbed and you, you said, Lord, not now. I, I'm not ready for this one to die. And you prayed and they died anyway. I know I have. I've prayed for people, uh, couples who were struggling in their marriage and they got divorced anyway. I, I prayed a few years ago that Hurricane Harvey would just steer right around us, but it didn't. It plowed right into us. So why, why doesn't God, a God who can clearly do miracles, why doesn't he do miracles when we ask him? Why does he so often fail to respond the way we want them to. And the answer that we get from Scripture, it's never said exactly this way, but this is the best way I've ever heard it expressed. God answers every prayer you pray the way you would if you knew what He knows. Let me say that again. God answers every prayer you pray the way you would if you knew what He knows. So a great example is the story of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, in Genesis, not Joseph the father of Jesus. We all know the story, but it's such a good story. I'm going to tell it real briefly. Anyway, here's the Reader's Digest version. So uh, Joseph is the son of Jacob. He's Jacob's favorite son. Joseph's brothers uh, are so upset with him because they're so resentful because he's daddy's favorite, and they sell him into slavery. So right, right off the top, Joseph has experienced extreme injustice. He goes to the land of Egypt uh, where he's a slave. And just when he has worked his way up to being the head slave of Potiphar's household, he's falsely accused of sexual assault. So a second injustice, he's thrown in prison for committing no crime. And just when he's worked his way up to being the most trusted prisoner, two prisoners who he helps forget all about him and he's left behind in the dungeon. Three different things have happened to Joseph that you think, boy, if God's on his side, that wouldn't have happened. But then along comes Pharaoh and says, listen, I've heard you can interpret dreams. I had a dream the other night. I don't know what it's about. It's clearly something that the gods are trying to tell me. And Joseph is able to interpret the dream. He is able to say, Pharaoh, what this means is there's seven years of famine coming, uh, but there's seven years of plenty right now. So if you're a smart man, you're going to save up. You're going to, you're going to, You're going to store up as much grain as you can so that your people will be rescued. And and Joseph is made prime minister of Egypt. He's made the man in charge, the project manager of that that little project. And so when the famine hits, suddenly Egypt is the only nation in that region that's prepared. And so not only is Pharaoh able to provide for all his hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, but nations from other people from other nations are coming. To, to buy grain from Pharaoh as well. And here's Joseph, the, the chief of all of this. And then his brothers show up. 
his brothers, his long lost brothers, he hadn't seen in 20 years and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. We can only assume because they, they figured he was dead, but also because he looked like an Egyptian. And Joseph, uh, you know, long story of course, but Joseph is able to rescue and forgive his brothers and be reconciled to them and reunited with his father. It's a wonderful ending, but the very, very best part is the way it ends. The, the very, very end of the story is daddy Jacob dies and the brothers think, okay, uh, we know that, that Joseph's been just waiting around for a chance to kill us and, and we're sure that's gonna happen now. And Joseph says, listen, in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. See, Joseph finally figured it out. If I hadn't been sold into slavery and if I hadn't been thrown into prison and if I hadn't been forgotten there by Pharaoh's servants, then I wouldn't have been there when Pharaoh needed someone to interpret his dream for him and I wouldn't have been able to rescue hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, including my own family. It's not that God ordained the things that happened to Joseph, it's that God took the bad things that happened to Joseph and weaved them into his plan so that well, God understood what was going on. God was ahead of the enemy, and he always, always is. I'll tell you one more story on that, and then we'll move on. So Tim Keller uh, has a friend, uh, has a, a church member uh, who in his youth was a drug dealer, just cared about nobody but himself. He was all about making money. Um, in, a, in a deal gone wrong, he was shot in the face. He survived. Uh, he had to go through dozens of painful surgeries. He lost most of his sight. He'll never look the same. He lives in pain. And yet in the midst of all of that, he accepted Christ as his savior. He's now a part of that church in Manhattan. He has tons and tons of friends. And he says to this day, I'm glad it happened. I wish I never would have gone into drug dealing. I wish I would have known Christ early. But because I did those things, because I made those bad choices, I'm glad that guy shot me in the face because it led to this. See, God can take what the world intends for evil and turn it to good. God answers every prayer the way you would if you knew what he knows. So false idea number three. False idea number three is, well, the Bible teaches that good people are exempt from suffering. And this is the one that comes from within the church, not from outside the church. The first two are from unbelievers. But this is the one that Christians will often say. Oh, the Bible says that if you love the Lord enough, if you've got enough faith, then you'll be blessed. You'll be taken care of. This is... This sounds like what Job's friends say to him. Boy, you sure are suffering, Job. What did you do to offend God? You know, if your heart is right, everything will go your way. People, and, and I blame to, to a large extent the, the popular preachers of today, not all of them, but I've gotten to where I don't trust anybody I see on TV uh, preaching. Um, let me just give you one example of a scripture that often gets misused. And this might hurt some of y'all's feelings because this is some of your favorite scripture, I bet. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And we write that in graduation cards to young Christian men and women, and we send it to people who are struggling. God has a plan for you that he wants to prosper you. Have you ever read Jeremiah 29? Do you know what that verse actually is about? See, that verse is part of a letter written by God through the prophet Jeremiah to the Israelites who've been captured by Babylon and taken away to exile. Jeremiah is still at home in Israel, but there's tens of thousands of Jews already in exile. 
And up there in Babylon where they're in exile, there are false prophets going around and saying, y'all, don't even unpack your bags. We're going to be set free any minute now. The Lord is going to just, I mean, remember what he did to Egypt? He's going to do that here. He's going to just destroy these Babylonians, and we're going to get to go home. Jeremiah writes to them and says, don't believe this stuff you're hearing. You're there for the distance. You're there. God's not going to, you're going to be there for 70 years. Now, anybody in this room think you're still going to be alive in 70 years? I don't. God is giving them bad news in Jeremiah 29. He, sa he says, plant trees, build houses, get your kids married, become citizens, pray for your city because when the city prospers, you will prosper too. But he says, the good news is, I haven't forgotten you. When he says, I have a plan for you, he doesn't mean for that individual generation. He means for the Jewish people. He's saying, listen, you're stuck in Babylon. You're going to die there. And you're going to think it's because I've rejected the Jews as my people. But I haven't. I still have a plan for you. I have a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. 70 years from now, I'm bringing you home. But in the meantime... Be as good a citizens as you can in that foreign land. That sounds a lot different than taking a verse out of context to say, everything God has planned for you is good. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says at all. In fact, there are ways in which life gets harder the more devoted you are to Christ. There are ways in which life gets, at best, more inconvenient, and sometimes downright difficult. That doesn't mean that it's bad to be a Christian, obviously, because there are blessings, there are joys, there's peace that passes understanding, there's, there's benefits to following Christ that the world can't quantify. But this idea that the more faithful you are to God, the more you are going to prosper in an outward sense. Your bank account's going to grow and you're going to get healed of all your illnesses and your kids are all going to make straight A's and give you beautiful grandchildren who visit you once a day. It's not in the Word of God. That's not a promise from God. That's, we're, we're reading into it what we want to see when we say things like that. That's a good way to sell a lot of books, but it's not what the Scriptures say. So, what is God's answer to the problem of pain? Well, in the short term, the answer is us. It's his church. Uh, in John 14, 12, Jesus said something that when you sit down and think about what he's saying, it just blows your mind. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What did he just say? I'm going away, so I'm going to leave y'all with the ability to do the things I did. And you read that and you think, well, I I can't do the things Jesus did. What is he talking about? I think the, under, the way to understand this verse is he's not talking about me, Jeff Berger. He's not talking about you individually. He's talking about us collectively. He's saying there's going to be churches all around the world, just collections of individual believers. And every single one of those individual believers is going to have a piece of my grace in them that's going to give them spiritual gifts, abilities to do things that... The world can't explain. And when they get together, when they do their part, each of those churches is going to be like the body of Christ on earth. And so there's going to be, there's going to be millions of bodies of Christ walking around on this earth. So whereas I could, could spend a day healing maybe a dozen people, maybe preaching to a few thousand, 
they're going to be able to minister to millions, to preach the gospel to multiple millions every single day. The things that I do will pale in comparison to the things they're able to do. That's what he's saying there. So when you, when you read that logically, what that means is, you want to answer the problem of pain? Get out and be the church. When you hear somebody like a Stephen Fry on TV say those awful things about the evil in the world and that means that God's no good, well, instead of getting offended, we should say, well, that means we're not doing our job because if we were doing our job and being the church, people wouldn't think that way. They'd say, well, I know God cares because look at those people over there who represent him. Look at the differences they're making. Look at the ways they're addressing problems. Look at how they never seem to sleep. They're always, always helping. They're always the first ones there. I'll, I'll tell you one story that's good news since I seem to be kicking us while we're down. Uh, some years ago, there was a series of, of devastating tornadoes in uh, Oklahoma. Some of you may remember this. And I was watching the news, and this was NBC. I, I think it was post-Brian Williams. <laughs> anyway, um, so they're, they're, the reporter's on the ground in Oklahoma, and the, and the anchor man says, well, so are they getting any relief? And the reporter on the ground in Oklahoma said, well, um, I'll tell you, FEMA is, uh, should be here um, by next week, but the Baptist men will be here tomorrow. And he said those, and I was like, uh, thankfully I have DVR because I rewound it. I'm like, did I dream that? And I, 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 Carrie, come in here. Listen, make sure I heard this. This is a, a network news reporter on national news saying, government will be here next week, Baptist men will be here tomorrow. That was a praise the Lord moment. And it ought to make us more excited about our giving and the cooperative program, but it also ought to make us say, we ought to be that way about every need. In our, in our community, in our culture. Um, that's the short-term answer to the problem of pain, but the ultimate answer, of course, is Jesus. See, when you think about it, that question of why do bad things happen to good people, Jesus was the ultimate good person who experienced the ultimate bad thing, wasn't he? And that's not even the end of the story. See, that was his plan. Most of us, in fact, all of us, when we experience bad things, we feel like innocent victims. We feel like, why did this happen to me? Jesus knew it was going to happen. And in John 10, 14 through 15, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. In other words, I'm going here willingly. This is my choice. This is my decision. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. So on Good Friday, Jesus was addressing the problem of pain. He was taking, he was bearing our suffering, our sins. He was bearing our evil and our struggle. He took it upon himself. And then on Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, he rose triumphant. And that was his proof that he had reversed the curse. From now on, death has no power over us. From now on, we know the end of the story is evil loses. Now, it hasn't lost yet, or it actually has, but the, the, the final score hasn't been shown. We know how the game ends. We just have to wait until the end to see it. So I'm going to get a little nerdy on you here at the end. Um, so Tolkien wrote his books, uh, the Lord of the Rings series, and the last one of those books is called The Return of the King. Um, 
So for those of you that aren't into this, which probably most of you, it's about these little people, little people called hobbits, and, and there's this ring that represents all the evil in the world, and these two hobbits, Sam and Frodo, have to take this ring, and they have to throw it into the fire on top of this mountain and destroy evil once and for all, and there's all these adventures and all these perils they go through. But then at the very, very end, when they throw the ring in, there's this huge explosion, and one of them, Sam, wakes up at the end of it, and he sees his friend Gandalf the wizard, and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Listen to this question. Is everything sad about to come untrue? What has happened? And Gandalf said, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without end. And the reason I quote that is because what Jesus' resurrection means is that someday everything sad really will come untrue. Everything, we, everything that we find so tragic and, and sorrowful about this world is going to be reversed. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a renewal of things. Everything that's been destroyed will be made right again. And I think we will laugh. And, and that laughter will be the most genuine laughter you've ever heard in your life because we won't be laughing at anybody else's expense and we won't be laughing to make ourselves look good. We're just going to be so full of joy. And that is the end of our story. So if you talk about the problem of pain, God has the answer, and someday we will see it. We just have to trust. Can't we trust a God who loves us enough to die for us? I think we can. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, so, so grateful that in the midst of all our questions and doubts, you don't get mad at us. Lord, you, you let Job rail against you for 40 chapters And at the end, you declared him righteous. Lord, you've got passages in the Psalms where people ask, where are you? And Lord, you put that in your word. So you understand that we're going to struggle with these questions and it does not offend you. But I pray, almighty God, that in the midst of our struggling and doubts, we would not turn away from you because you are, Lord, you are the source of all that is good in our lives. You are the one who loves us. I pray, Lord, for people in this room who are struggling with bad health, with grief, with uh, family struggles and strifes. Lord, all kinds of things that are happening that cause us to wonder uh, where you are. Lord, I pray that in the midst of it, give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to see your love. And Lord, for a world that wonders how a, a good God could create a world with so much evil in it, help them to hear the truth of your gospel and to know Uh, that the evil is not your fault, and that you have a solution. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.